Well, we're continuing in our series in the book of Acts, and we're so, we've been so blessed, and this book of Acts reminds us why we're doing what we're doing as a church, why we're church planning, why we're installing new leadership. Today, the word of God comes from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, and now as we turn our attention to the word of God, this is the word of God. And now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood uh, stood and, uh, and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together, uh, ran, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though our, by our own power or piety we have made him walk? This is the word of God. Thank you. Thank you for the reading of God's word. Good morning to you. As we come together to worship once again here at CCSC, and we go through Acts chapter 3. Apostle Peter healed a man born lame to rise up and walk. And then that same Peter preached the sermon. That healing power only comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So all the praise, all the glory belongs to him. All right, so healing and preaching. Healing and preaching. Peter did both. Jesus did both. The Holy Spirit loves to do both. This passage is a prototype of Holy Spirit-filled ministry. Okay, it's a foundational prototype of what all churches and ministries ought to be doing in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, The author, Luke, a doctor, tells us in verse 2 this Physical condition and suffering, lifelong, from the day of his birth. He had never, never walked before. In chapter 4, verse 22, we are told he was 40 years of age, 40 years old. Every day, he had to be carried to the beautiful gate of the temple. There he would sit and beg every day. This is a matter of survival. Tells us it was at the ninth hour when Peter and John came along, which is 3 p.m. Specific time, specific place, specific names. 
This is reported as facts, not fantasy. This is all verifiable in their day. Because in verses 8 through 10, it says, all the people were amazed. They were astounded. People were clamoring around Peter because they saw the man who'd been born lame, walking and leaping and praising God. Later in chapter 4, a jealous Jewish religious council tells the man who had been healed by Apostle Peter, you need to tamp that down. Don't tell anyone about it. Because the popularity of these followers of Jesus just keeps growing. The healing of a man born lame. Uh, there is an unusual quality and frequency to the miracles performed by apostles like Peter. Of course, I mean, extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily dramatic, unusual quality. Look at uh, verses 5. It starts at verse 12. It reads this. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Unusual quality to the miracles. I mean, we're talking... Peter's shadow. People would gather from all around, bring in anyone who was in pain or anyone who was suffering. Maybe Apostle Peter's shadow could fall upon my loved one because I know it would heal. In chapter 19 of Acts, do you know that Apostle Paul's handkerchief was used to heal? Look at the frequency. It says regularly. Regularly, people were in awe, and a lot of people wanted to join the church at the same time. It says, all were healed at the end of verse 16. It's not like some, it's like just some select individuals, like everyone and anyone who came near an apostle, his hands or his shadow if it would fall upon you, boom, miraculously healed. That's the frequency. It's like it was a Wednesday afternoon. Just like a casual, normal Wednesday, 3 p.m., a man born lame was healed. Now, what do we do with this? Okay, how do you process this? Because certainly we don't see or witness or experience stuff like this today. What do you do with this? All right. Miracles of this nature, of such nature and frequency, were marvelous authenticating signs of God on special unrepeatable messengers called apostles. Miracles of this kind of nature and frequency, like regularity on Wednesday afternoon, and it's 100% effective, were marvelous authenticating signs of God on special unrepeatable messengers or what we call apostles. Now follow me here, okay? This is the most important point. The miracles were given by God so that people would pay much more attention to their message. 
the signs and wonders that the apostles were able to accomplish pointed to a greater Savior. A man born lame was healed, but you do know he would suffer and end up dead again. That first miraculous temporary healing was a pathway so that people could experience a permanent, perfect, holistic healing that comes through their preaching. Hmm. Dare I say, the miracles were lesser than their messaging. Dare I say, the miracles and the healing that the apostles performed aren't worthy to be compared to the greatest miracle that God would perform that you get through their preaching. But healing and preaching come together. I mean, obviously in this room, which one would you pick? I know most people would just pick, I want the healing. I want the miracle right now. I want the sign and wonder. I mean, God, why would you just give me that? There was a man perishing, crucified on a cross next to Jesus. Jesus, of course, could have rescued, delivered him right off that cross. The nails would have just popped out. All his wounds would have been healed overnight. He could have walked away free. That criminal who deserved crucifixion could have been rescued off the cross. What did Jesus do instead? He spoke. He preached. He healed him by the word of his mouth. He spoke that man into paradise. Jesus spoke that criminal into paradise. Because in paradise, you never beg, you never mourn. In paradise, you never cry. There's no more disease. There's no more injustice. There's no more evil. There's no more death. Healing and preaching. Now back to the healing at hand in Acts chapter 3. Some insights into this. First off, there's no money required. The one astounding thing about the God of the Bible is he cannot be manipulated. Like you can't corner him. You can't like leverage him. He cannot be bought and paid for. He cannot be bought and paid for. There's no secret audio recordings of God where it indicates he could be bribed. This man had nothing. He was begging for alms. He wanted money. But here comes Peter and John. We don't have silver and gold to give you, but in the name of Jesus Christ, you get up and walk. You're healed by sheer sovereign grace of God. It can be a miracle. God also uses natural means of science and technology and medication. God, the Holy Spirit, uses all of that to bring about healing as well. Second insight, a second insight. When you cry out for healing, God offers you much more than money. In other words, the man had been begging for alms every day at the beautiful gate of the temple, but he didn't get what he immediately thought he needed most. The man was literally begging and crying every day. Just give me some money so I could make it till tomorrow. But Peter and John deliver something else, something much more, something much more. 
God always delivers. Did you know, my friends? He always delivers something else, something more, something better. Uh, this morning, my wife, as we were getting ready to come to church, she was shocked that the Dodgers lost. She had watched it up until the seventh inning, then when they were up 3 nothing, and then, uh, you know, just typical predictable sadness of the Dodgers. They lost. I told her they lost. She was like, oh, they lost? And then while skipping a beat, she says, oh, well, thousands of marriages and families will now be saved. Thousands of marriage and families can be healthier in the next two weeks. You know, something so silly as that, right? But true. I don't know if you've ever loved somebody. Pastors love you as a church. I don't know if you love somebody in your family. And they're going through prolonged distress. And it distresses you. There's a dread and a despondency to it. And you pray every single day. I know a friend on the East Coast right now who's been praying every single day for his son for nine years. The pain just doesn't go away. It's getting worse. Can you take some heart with me this day as we worship this God of the Bible? He cannot be bought and paid for, but also I want you to know God is always thousands and millions of other reasons giving you something else, something better. He always is. If you and I knew what God knows, if you and I really knew what God knows, all the infinite implications, all the infinite reasons, the infinity of eternity into the future, I assure you, my friends, this God of the Bible is doing exactly what you need most right now. He gives you way more than money. He gives you way more than what you are crying out for every day. No money required. God delivers and offers much more than money. Third insight. Healing comes in the act of faith, not before you exercise your faith. Healing comes in the act of faith, not before. Look, this man born lame, he didn't feel healed before he got up and took Peter's hand. Look at the text. There's no record of that. And so he says, I'm just going to passively sit back, do everything, please, oh God. No, he took the hand of Peter. He believed in Peter. He moved in the direction of obedience. He took the hand of Peter. He'd never got up in his life, but he got up and his feet and ankles were miraculously strengthened and healed. And then he went about walking and leaping and praising God to the astonishment and the wonder of all who witnessed it. Often is the case that when you and I believe and move in obedience, God meets you there with healing. All right, so, so far, the book of Acts. What is the book of Acts all about? The words and the works of Jesus. Part two. How are the words and the works of Jesus continued in part two? By the presence and the power and the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit. We call this creeds and deeds. 
You might call it the great commission of Matthew chapter 28 and the great compassion of Matthew chapter 25. Preaching and healing. Healing and preaching. Holy Spirit has two hands. Two arms. Male and female. It's a couple. It's both. And when we do both, we can offer Holy Spirit-filled ministry. Just like the prototype right here. Look at verses 10 and 16 of chapter 3. And recognize him, the man who was just healed, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. Look again, they know exactly the location. They know his life story. They've seen him every day. They've seen him every day at that freeway entrance. They've seen that same man every day. He was always begging for money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. Verse 16, which we did not read. This is Peter now preaching after this man had been healed. And his name, by faith in whose name? Jesus' name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Kind of interesting to know, right? You know, the Holy Spirit, after he heals someone, does something. He does want people to witness it in the presence of you all. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is showing off in a sense. He wants people filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Why would that be? Why would the Holy Spirit want to, quote unquote, show off a miracle of healing? So that you get the preaching. So that you get a greater Savior. So that you enter the kingdom of heaven where all, all would be made well and stay well forever. You know, there's nothing more attractive. I know, I wish I could perform them. I really wish I could. I mean, I wish I was like David Copperfield, the magician, just conjure up some stem. I mean, we'd pack out this whole place, right? Signs and wonders. But man, it's not the magic. It's not the miracles. It's the miracle Savior, Jesus, that you need to come to. And the Holy Spirit loves to take church people, ordinary church people. Don't feel like you have to like have a handkerchief that goes and heals somebody. People really want to see, is your life getting healed? Are you getting healed? Oh, far from perfect, of course. But man, when I look into your life, the resilience, the humility, the honesty, the tears, but the fact that you still want to leap and walk and praise God... That astounds me. There's nothing better than stories of grace. Stories of grace. Small group. Sunday worship. People talking about, you know, this is what Jesus did for me. It is a miracle. It really is a miracle. I never thought I'd be here in this place right now talking about the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. I can't believe how good he's been to me. Especially through all the wreckage and the pain. Most attractive. Ah, now let's get to the preaching. Holy Spirit loves to use the healing so that people could listen more to the preaching. Verse 12, verse 12. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people after this man was walking and leaping. I mean, a man who had never walked, like he's jumping around, praising God. Men of Israel, 
Why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. (laughs) As if we did this. Why do you keep staring at us? Look, miracles need messages of explanation. Signs, again, are from and point to a greater Savior. Healing like this begs for preaching. It begs for preaching. Uh, One ancient commentator, in essence, this is what Peter is about to preach in the following verses. Thomas Walker, I think, just summed it up perfectly. The hand was Peter's, Apostle Peter's, but the power was Christ's. To be sure. The hand was Peter's, but the power was Christ's. Thanks be to God, you're here sitting in this morning listening to this guy. Thank God the power is all of Christ. My goodness, I would get up in the morning if I didn't know it was the power of Christ that could do something in you. That's your only hope and comfort. The hand was Peter. You know that God could use your hands? God could use your voice? God could use your home? God could use your story? God could use your tears? God could use your brokenness? God could use your kids? God could use you in trust. Can you believe God could use you, but the power is Christ? And then Peter gets up, and he gives a sermon. The greater miracle is in the sermon. The greatest miracle you will ever experience or be healed by is in preaching. Vital signs of spirit-filled preaching. Number one, packed with scripture. Packed with scripture. Peter's sermons, Apostle Paul's sermons, prototypes. Once again, interesting how there's more lengthy records, almost repetitious, of the preaching than the healing. Hey, my friends, let's pay attention. Read the book of Acts. I know we are much more mesmerized by the signs and the wonders, but why is it that Acts has way more content on the preaching? Then the healing, because you know which packs a bigger punch. This is chapter 2. This is chapter 3. This is chapter 4. This is chapter 5. This is chapter 10. Then you get in chapter 7, 13, and 17. The rest of that, the second half of the book of Acts is just all about Apostle Paul. And the most of the content is his traveling and all his preaching. All his preaching. Rest assured, you're like, oh, pastor, we're on Acts 3. That's it. Don't worry. The second half, we're just going to blaze right on through. It's a prototype. I'm just going to cover some of the patterns of all those sermons that are coming up. What were the original first Christian preachers or apostles packing? Okay, what were they packing in their sermons? What was their main go-to material? Who wrote their script? What did they rely on the most when they got in front of people to speak? Scripture. Holy Scriptures. Apostle Peter himself specifies what he banked on the most. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Same apostle right here. Second letter. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
This is the most unique kind of speech you could ever hear. Did you know that? I'm well aware of it. That's why it's one of the most Mount Everest things and the most thrilling things I could ever do with my life. You know, it's not Chris Rock. It's not Obama. It's not the model UN. No, 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 no. This says that the Holy Spirit wrote scripture, moved scripture, breathed scripture, inspired scripture. And so therefore, do you know when the Holy Spirit loves to move? Do you know what the Holy Spirit loves to empower? Do you know what the Holy Spirit likes to fill? His own material. His own stuff. It's always better than my stuff. Hey, what do you look for in sermons? Why do you come to this church or that church? This one, I hope you you consider. I hope you have some kind of criteria. What do you want? Short? Charismatic, confident? Tear-jerking, funny? Netflix poignant? Immediately practical? Something on the way home that's going to fix something? Absolutely wonderful and helpful. I hope God can give you all of that. But do you know what? The Holy Spirit loves to use the most in the long run, the most profound thing that he could ever use. It's his own stuff. It's his own material. It's the scriptures. And it's way higher. It's way better. It's way more lasting. It's more life-giving than any human agenda or script. It's packed with scripture. The Holy Spirit loves to use when it's packed with his own words. Second, vital sign of spirit-filled preaching. Sanders Jesus. The Holy Spirit, again, obsessed with glorifying, putting Jesus at center. Sanders Jesus Christ. Theologians would call it Christocentric, or even some people say gospel-centric. The Holy Spirit loves to center Jesus. Look, every single sermon given by the first Christian preachers. I I don't think you would do wrong by trying to copying them, right? It's just unmistakable. It's like everything revolved, like begins and ends. It's almost to the point of, oh, okay, God, it's all about Jesus. No, 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 no. They take every Old Testament name, every Old Testament prophecy, every Old Testament promise, every Old Testament passage, and they say, this has something to do about, around, like it points to, or it's maybe Jesus is the backdrop. All of it culminates. Like Neo is the one. Like Neo is the one. Like the whole puzzle is like unlocked. Everything like comes together. The puzzle pieces all come together in stunning details. How? How is it when you interpret and understand the scriptures to center Jesus. Now, if you ever have the calling to preach God's word in front of anybody, and you go to seminary or something, a a decent seminary, and every decent seminary is going to teach you, you better preach Jesus. You better preach Jesus. It's called the science of interpretation. It's how you understand all of the 66 books of the Bible. Okay, it's like Jesus is the answer of the back of the textbook. Okay, good. So, It's good that you center Jesus because you want to do a great job in the science, in the study, in the academic, in the discipline. You understand now the Bible, how it all comes together. Great. But there's something just as crucial. Dare I say, maybe even a little more crucial in our day and age. 
Hey, preacher, I'm preaching to myself. Don't just do a good job and check off the boxes that Jesus is central in all the scriptures. Please make sure that anyone who ever listens to your message cannot possibly confuse your sermon with the TED Talk. Hey, Christian preacher, please make sure, because there might be a non-believing friend, a neighbor that you invited one time. One time. And I would never, ever want anyone to walk away thinking, hmm, Christianity might be a good option. You know, it's like an equal valid option among all the religions of the world. That was a really good religious studies lecture. I would never want what you call a Christian sermon to be conflated with a TED talk, TikTok, pep talk, inspirational talk, morality lesson. Why not? Why wouldn't you want that? Because the Holy Spirit fills and moves when Jesus is at the center. Here's a 2018 study of the state of theology put on by Lifeway Research. It polled 3,000 American evangelicals. Evangelicals. Let's get past the political voting block here. You know most of them who they voted for, of course. I'm not saying, I'm not disparaging that or condoning that. But evangelicals are people who actually believe the written scriptures are the word of God. Those are evangelicals. All right, 2018. Pre-pandemic, 32% believe their beliefs are not objectively true. 51, that's more than half. 1% more than half. God accepts worship of all religions, including Judaism and Islam. 78% believe Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Created by God. This is evangelicals. Now, I would suggest to you, to this own preacher's dismay, I assure you this is the product of not enough packing with Scripture and certainly not enough of Jesus. This is the result of the steady popular diet across the whole landscape, dare I say, which is not Christianity, but something that just takes the name of Christianity. Hey guys, Apostle Peter preached in such a way that his audience, immediate audience, could not possibly conclude, oh, this guy's up there and all he's doing is, uh, okay, cool. It's like a continuation of Judaism. It's Judaism 2.0. Awesome. Thank you, Peter, for that lesson. No, 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 no. Nobody walked away like that. Nobody could hear Apostle Peter or Apostle Paul's sermon and then say, hmm, Jesus is in the pantheon of all the gods. All are valid and all are equal. Apostle Peter, Apostle John, Apostle Paul, there is no way you could mistake that it was some version of Greco-Roman politics, religion, education, or worldview. Oh, my friends, huh? So how are you doing with this with me today? Hmm? 
How are you and I praising and preaching Jesus at the center, clearly? People even know that Jesus is supposed to be at the center? Are you, are you moved? Are you empowered? Are you filled by the Holy Spirit to make that clear? Here's what I know about the early first Christian church. They were not persecuted because they were nice. The first Christians were not persecuted because they fit in so well. They were not persecuted and potent at the same time. Look, if you're powerful, you're going to get some crap. If you're effective, you're going to get some feedback. But the first Christian church was potent and persecuted, not because they were monogamous, not because they were heterosexual, not because they were conservative, not because they were moral, not because they trained their kids right, not because they had their taxes straight, not because they were good-looking and healthy, not because they were inclusive, not because even because they were all out for the poor. It's not because they were generous. Do you know why they were potent and persecuted? Because they kept praising and preaching and living out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He, it matters more to me than family or friend or ruler or authority or idol or God or my job. Jesus, he is central in my life. I center him. You can see it. You can feel it. You can, you can sense it. Jesus Christ matters more to me than reputation. It doesn't matter. These things don't really that matter that much. And when the early church was so filled by the Holy Spirit, they just loved and obsessed over the same thing the Holy Spirit does. Jesus is central, exalted above all. Because again, my friends, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. You, you, want, it? you want a miracle? Okay, here's a miracle right here. This is the greatest miracle you'll ever experience. In the name of Jesus Christ, you can rise up and walk and leap and praise God forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, your 60 to 80 years of suffering and pain will be nothing. Nothing compared to the perfection and the glory that is to come. In the name of Jesus Christ, you will have your limbs and your body and loved ones restored to you forever. Well, you will never suffer loss or heartache again. Your heart can never be broken again. Because there's someone whose heart was broken. He was crushed. He was maimed. He was paralyzed. He was crushed to death at the cross. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And you come to Jesus you can rise up, walk, and leap, and praise God. Spirit-filled preaching. Spirit-filled preaching, packed with Scripture, center Jesus. Last one. You have to be called out. You have to be called out. That's what Peter did. That's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. Look at the sum of his sermon now, right after this healing, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. The God of Abraham, this is Peter preaching, the God of Isaac, because healing begs for preaching. And the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you, oh man, how personal. How uncouth, how, how politically incorrect, how, how, how direct is this? You. Denied the holy and righteous one 
and asked for murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Verse 26. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This kind of boldness and compassion only comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a bold love. And here it is. Peter does not let you off the hook. I don't want to let you off the hook here. You say, how in the world am I held responsible for the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Are you kidding me? I wasn't there. Well, the Bible says Jesus is here right now talking to you through his word and by his spirit. What are you going to do with him today? And to get rid of him, to neglect him, to relegate him, dismiss him, ignore him. Is exactly what the people did back then. We don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. Oh, but you can get called out of that. You can get called out of that. You, there's a clear demarcation now. You once were like that, but now you're like this. You can be called out. And nobody in this room is going to come to Jesus without hearing words from Jesus. You will not be forgiven of all your sins until Jesus hears and takes your confession that you crucified Jesus with your own sins, but he was raised to love and forgive you still. Jesus has to hear that from you. Did you know that? This one Jesus has to hear from you your confession, your repentance. He needs to call you out from the way you used to think and feel and live, how you used to do life, and he needs to call you out and make you someone new. Someone new. Have you been called out? Are you being called out? This is the last line of the recorded sermons in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. Okay? The last line. This is the conclusion. This is what's reported from Apostle Peter. Let's look at these verses. Last ones. Chapter 3 verse 26 God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That is a conclusion to this sermon after the man born lame was healed. That's the last verse. Called out from what? From your wickedness. You see, you're saved from something. You're being changed from something. You're escaping and being rescued from something. There's a former way of life, but you're no longer that way. God, Jesus Christ, calls you out from, from that. Then in chapter 2, the concluding line to Apostle Peter's sermon. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. From. There it is again. From this crooked generation. Can I ask you, my dear friends? Can I ask you, my dear friend? Jesus saving you from anything? He changing anything from? He calling you out from something that you formerly were all about? From this crooked generation. 20 years ago in, in Virginia, I was a college pastor. And one of the uh, parties I hosted had the theme of back to the 80s. 20 years ago, 
it was still, 80s was old then, now it's just ancient, right? But back to the 80s, 20 years ago, and one of the college students said this to me, I said, hey, Harold, pastor, like, what was the 80s like? What do you want us to do? So I think 80s had really good music, but people dressed really bad. The 80s had really good music, but they, we did hairspray really bad, like really, really, really bad. You've got to come and dress really bad. Roll up your jeans, stick up your hair all the way to the sky, and so they came. Every generation has its good and bad. Your current generation, do you know what Jesus is calling you out from this present generation? Jesus, when he calls you out, he changes you so much. And he changes other people around you so much that you create a whole new generation. You become a whole new people called a church. And there is where the Holy Spirit fills and moves and empowers and loves and saves you over and over and over and over and over again. Have you been called out? Have you been called out? Hey, dear friends, make it concrete and clear. Get baptized. Get confirmed as an adult. Join this church. Classes are coming up November 1st. We make it as accessible as possible. It's a self-study. And then an elder or pastor wants to just interview and meet you, encourage you in the faith. Make it clear. Have you been called out? Is Jesus calling you out? Are you part of a whole new people, a whole new community, a whole new generation? Because in that generation... In that church, in that group of people, you are going to rise, you are going to walk, you are going to leap, and you're going to praise God forever. We are going to worship God forever in perfect joy and glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your healing works, oh God, but we thank you for your word that is preached. Holy Spirit, I rely upon you 100%. Pray, oh God, you would bring anyone here forward to believe and follow Jesus now, to get baptized and join a church. God, I pray for many friends here now who are going through distress and suffering, crying out to you, oh Lord. Make it be known that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you are all for us, with us, And you're bringing about a day where all will rise up and walk and leap to the praise of God. Hear us, we pray, even as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.